Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, it's September. Summer vacation is over. The kids are back in school, and most of us are back at work full time. Here, it's a good time to ask yourself a couple of questions. One, do I like what I do for a living? Does it inspire me to get up in the morning and head for the office, the school where I teach, or to my small business, even on a Monday morning? And second, looking forward, is this how I want to spend the remainder of my productive years? What are my prospects for growth and given anticipated career path and my employer's prospects and my enthusiastic about the future? Now, please be aware, I'm not talking here just about how much money you make, even if you and your spouse together earn more than enough to enjoy a comfortable lifestyle, if you, uh, you really can't enjoy life fully if you must spend 40, 50, or more hours a week bored, stressed out, or overwhelmed uh, performing tasks you'd rather not be doing. So at this point in life and career, are you satisfied with where you are and what you do? Let's say that for whatever reason you're fairly certain you want to change jobs, perhaps even transition to a new career, but you don't know where to start. Well, if so, here's some good news. My guest author, Geraldine Hogan, is here to offer insights and advice on factors to consider when you're in a career rut or dead end and it's time to move on. And when you hear uh, Geraldine's background, I'm certain you'll agree she's well qualified to talk about career transition because Geraldine Hogan served as an elementary school teacher for a number of years. Mid-career, her desire to teach kids burned out. As she puts it, I couldn't tell if I had changed or the students had changed a little of both. And this is very impressive. She went on to law school, became an attorney, then was appointed by the governor and served 12 years as a state of Florida judge of compensation claims, and in 2018 she retired from her judicial position and started up her own mediation practice, and she currently serves as mediator, public speaker, and just this July published her first book, Career Moves for Teachers and Other Professionals, Strategies for a Successful Job Change. Now, listeners, all rise. Here comes the judge. And hello, Judge Hogan, and welcome <laughs> to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. Well, first, let's talk about a sad truth. Why is it, do you think, that so many teachers and other professionals remain in their current, often demanding jobs, even when they know it's no longer or perhaps never was the right job for them? Why do so many of us remain stuck? Well, I think probably a lot of people fear change. They fear that they may try to do something else, and where they end up, they may be just as unsatisfied. And for some people, the fear of perhaps changing careers may lead to 
a loss of income, and a lot of people are so afraid of not of the of not being able to make it financially that that would prevent them from making a change as well, especially if they are in a career that pays them a substantial amount of money or at least enough money to pay their bills and to make ends meet. Yeah, that's very true. Sometimes, even if you're not satisfied with where you are, the where you are looks less threatening than where you might be if you quit your job and tried something else. I can see what you're saying. Well, in your bill, you reveal, or in your book, you reveal that you always wanted to be a teacher, even as a young girl. And it appears that uh, you were one of those fortunate few adults that was earning a living pursuing your dream vocation. Uh, what were some of the factors that robbed you of your job satisfaction and led you to uh, transition to another profession? I think one of the things was the fact that I enjoyed working with children. As a teacher, I always taught uh, young children. I taught yeah. elementary school, and before that, I actually worked as a preschool teacher. Oh, I think some of <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I enjoyed working with children, and in fact, I still enjoy working with children. But I think the demands of teaching, the requirements of testing. The actual realities of what I was doing on a day-to-day basis were not consistent with what I really enjoyed when I considered becoming a teacher. And the longer I taught and the more demands on on student testing, even for very young children, I started to feel that it was not the – I lost my zeal. I didn't have the same joy that I had when I initially started out in the profession. Well, to become an attorney, you needed to return to school to get a law degree, and as a possible guide to others who need additional education, how were you able to finance this schooling? Did you earn your law degree through night school while you remained a teacher, or were you able to afford law school full-time, and did you apply for and receive financial aid, dip into savings? Just how were you able to do that? Actually, it was a combination of two things. I did applied for and received a student loan. And my husband and I also went into some of our retirement funds in order to fund law school. Of course, so it was it helpful was actually, that you had a uh, husband that was earning money while you were in school, I guess. That, that made a big difference. Ex- ex- exactly. But the majority of the financing for law school was through student, from, was through student loans, which we were able to pay back and continue to move on. But actually, it's interesting because when I first considered going to law school, I thought that I would go to school part-time and continue to work part-time. And unfortunately, I I attended law school at the University of Florida, and they only accept full-time students. So had I known when I started the process that I would have to completely stop working, I probably would have thought twice. I'm kind of glad that I didn't know until I had made up my mind to go and was actually accepted. Oh, that was great. Yes. Well, you tell us that a bigger salary is not the primary reason why a huge number of teachers have left the profession. And uh, what do you believe the primary reasons for their exit? Probably the same reason you left, but uh, what are some of the other reasons why so many teachers leave and other professionals? For that matter, but. I, think, I think it's a couple of things. I think it's primarily it's when you don't enjoy what you, you're doing, you're going to look to do something else. I think money can only go so far. So when I, when I think about it, and it's interesting because 
a few weeks ago, I had a young lady call me, and she was actually in tears. And she was a, a teacher. She had been teaching for more than 13 years, wow. and she did not want to go back to, to her job. And the summer was ending. Mm-hmm. She was, she, it was time to start school in a couple of weeks. The teachers had to go back a week before the students came yeah. back. And she called me, and she just broke down crying. She said, I cannot go back. And it was not about the money. It had absolutely nothing to do about the money. One of the problems that she had was a problem with her principal, her school administrator, and the work environment that she was going back to. So I think what I've heard from teachers, it's not so much the money. It's the administrative staff that they have to work, work with. And in the state of Florida, there's such a high pressure and high demand on student testing that obviously when the school administrators are under the pressure to have their schools perform, then that pressure is going to trickle down to the teachers. The teachers are as much pressure as the students by that test then. Absolutely. The students don't do well, the teacher doesn't rate well. Well, in Chapter 3 of your book, it's titled Fear, and based on your personal experience and that of others, what are some of the things uh, that folks contemplating a new job or career are most fearful of? And more importantly, can you offer suggestions on ways to counter and overcome that fear? Exactly. I think first, first and foremost, there's a fear of failure. And that sometimes yeah. will prevent a person from even trying to do something else. Yeah. And I always say that to fear failure is... You know, it's like if you don't try, you're in the same boat as if you tried and failed. And so I think that some people feel that they may apply for something and then they won't get it, and they feel like, well, I won't get it anyway. I won't. I either won't get accepted into school, or I won't get that promotion, or I won't. I don't have a chance of getting another job if I apply for that job. So I just won't try. So yeah, if you don't try, sign off before you even try, isn't it? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So I think just fear of not getting it. But more than that, I think it's fear of criticism. Because if you don't get it and you tell people that you're going to try for another job or another position and you don't get that position and then people start to talk about you, then you feel embarrassed or humiliated. And so I think the fear of criticism is another fear that people will well, another fear that will keep people from at least trying. And what I always tell people is to never allow someone's opinion or their criticism or their negative talk prevent you from moving forward. Amen. And so I, and we would all be so much fear- further on in life if all of us ignored what the other people, the downer, the naysayers, tell us we can't do. Uh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I you know, I don't want people to ignore the fact that you may feel a little bad if someone says something bad about you. Yeah. But just keep in mind, even when you're successful, they may say bad things about you. Probably so you, more I so always they're say, jealous of your success. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I, I think it's just best to accept the fact that you may have those butterflies in your stomach. You may feel a little fear or apprehension, accept that, and then continue to move forward. Well, your, chapter, some, I, your chapter four is titled Complacently, Complacency, Silent Killer. And I looked up the word complacency in the dictionary, 
and it was listed as a feeling of contentment or satisfaction, gratification. And this sounds positive. How in the world can complacency be a silent killer? If we're content or satisfied with what we presently have or do, it would seem an ideal choice to continue on our current path. That's an interesting question. I think what happens is that a lot of times we know that we can do more, that we can offer more, that we have skills and abilities that would allow us to serve our communities more, and we know that we just have more in us. But because we're comfortable, because things are okay, they may not be perfect, but they're okay, we tend to stay put. We stay where we are. And sometimes, notwithstanding your definition, Sometimes we know that it's time for us to move on, and by not by staying in that particular situation and not moving moving on when we know that it's time to do so, sometimes our performance at work will actually suffer. We're not giving yeah. it our best because we know that we're you know we're okay. It's like a yeah. pair of comfortable shoes. They feel good. They're comfortable. I'll just keep them on and stay where I am. And some people know within their heart it's it's time for them to move on. Well, let's assume for a moment that as a middle-aged professional, we're certain we want a new job, perhaps even a new career. Can you give us a few simple questions that we should ask ourselves before we implement any career move? I can think of tons of those questions myself, but let's see what you think. (laughs) I think one of the things that you should ask yourself is, whether or not you know within your heart, within your gut, that it's time to move on. And the reason that I say that is because sometimes we have those internal feelings. Sometimes we say, "Mm, I have an inkling or I know that things aren't aren't right, but, you know, I'm just going to stay here. Another thing, and this this was the thing that I think really kind of helped me to realize it was time to move on, I started to dread going to work every day. And I think when you ask yourself, exactly, (laughs) exactly, exactly. So when when you start to ask yourself, you're driving to work and you know it's like, I really wish that I did not have to go to work today. If If it's one or two days, that's understandable. Yeah. But if you start to realize that you're having more days where you're dreading going to work than you're actually looking forward to going to work, then that would be a sign that it's time for you to move on. Yeah, I've had a couple of jobs where I really look forward to going to work on Monday, but I've had so many that uh, I didn't, and I can see what you're saying there for sure. Absolutely. And then I think once you realize that it's time for you to move on, then you have to start asking yourself, what is it that I want to do? And for me, I actually asked myself, what was it about teaching that I enjoyed? And one of the things that I enjoyed was just standing in front of a group of people telling stories. They were little people, but they were people, and I enjoyed telling stories. I enjoyed teaching. And so when when I had the opportunity to go to law school, to me, it was like it, most people, it seems like such a turn in the opposite direction when actually there were some similarities with being an attorney and being a teacher that a lot yeah. of people may not think about. So I would say look at some of the things, some of the activities that you perform in your work at, in, in your job that you actually enjoy. And then try to find work where you can utilize those skills that you do enjoy. And, and make then sure you understand potential jobs, what the skills really are involved in them, and, and, and you know, so you don't exactly. transition into something. Then find out day to day it's not at all what you thought it was. 
Exactly. And the reality is sometimes you may change to a job that it's not quite what you expected. But that's okay because you're not stuck. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people have to understand. If If you change jobs or you transfer to a job and you find that that job isn't what you expected or you didn't, or you don't like it, yeah. it doesn't mean that you have to stay there forever. No. So I don't think, it's like it would be, any, no mistake is permanent. So even if you make a mistake, it's okay. Yeah. You can still change and do something else. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people need to realize. I think younger adults see that a little bit more than people my age who were, you know, we grew up and a lot, my parents were, jobs for 30 years and retired, and I think that's kind of what people expect. But I don't think we should feel that, you know, there's that um, fear of not being able to make a change in the event that I do make a mistake. I think it's okay. Before you go out and actually quit your present job, you need to have a comprehensive uh, transition plan in mind, and you need to plan this transition in advance so that panic doesn't detract from your creative and energetic job search or startup. And also you have to make sure that the family's on board so that you don't mm-hmm. have a resentful spouse and kids because you're no longer earning a, a decent income. In developing your transition plan, what are some of the most critical issues that you need to address in advance or to consider? I think that you need to start out with a plan. I think you need to talk to people who are doing what you intend to do so that you can prepare as best you can. Yeah. But I can't I don't think you you may not have all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed. You may have some unexpected things to come up and I talk a little bit about that in the book about unexpected yeah. um you may have some unexpected things to happen and there are obstacles that may come up no matter how well you plan. So I think you need to have a plan to start out. You yeah. need to have a goal. You need to have a plan, and then you need to start to take action on that plan. Yeah. But know that things may change. Yeah, there's nothing more disappointing than to think you really aced an interview and it's a job you really want, and then somebody else gets the job. <laughs> or your exactly. finance falls through for a business startup. I've had both of those happen a few times back in the past, and uh, it's very tough to get up off the ground and uh, start in uh, full-fledged energetically again to look at other things. But uh, Exactly, but think about it, but you were able to do it, right? Yeah. Eventually you were able to get up and you were able to move on, and that's, yeah. one of, that's why I put the quote at the end of the book about no matter what happens, keep moving forward. Yeah, because right. you may apply for a job and you may not get the job and you may have and you may be disappointed. But that's okay. Just keep going, keep trying, keep moving. Don't allow a disappointment or even a failure to keep you from moving forward and trying again. And I yeah, think that that's one of the things that I would the, encourage. Then trying and giving up and, and then you're even less satisfied with where you are. You may have even quit your job and you have to do something, but uh, you certainly don't want to uh, test the waters and you're still unhappy and you end up, you give up early in the game and end up right back where you started, only more disillusioned. But, uh, well, if we may, let's talk about your brand new book, Career Moves for Teachers and Other Professionals. 
Initially, I want to confirm that your book is not written strictly for teachers, but other uh, professionals as well. Um, if I'm a financial analyst in a large corporation and I'm in a rut, and I, will this book help me out also? Absolutely. I think the strategies that I discussed would apply to anyone who would like to make a change in life. Not necessarily even your career. There may be other areas of your life that you yeah, may want to to change, and I think some of the strategies discussed would go toward any profession as well as in other areas of life. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm certain readers will be inspired by your own story of transition from elementary school teacher to judge, but does your book also contain specific tools and suggestions that listeners can use to plan and implement their own job search or career transition? Do you have some practical tools in there? Absolutely. And some of them, just to give you a few, I also, I suggest that if you know that you want to make a change, that you start make creating a plan. And in creating that plan, you will want to talk to other people who have done or are doing what you would like to do, that you start to do research, that you read about those, about other positions that are available, that you, that you Make a make. Sometimes you may want to make a point of talking to and reaching out to people. Sometimes they may not be people that you know, but don't be afraid to call and ask them just to meet with you, invite someone to lunch, talk with them about what they're going to Isn't do. It's amazing and that then, most everyone like that that you ask for help is eager to help someone else. It's just human nature, I think. It makes you feel good absolutely. when you're helping someone else. But uh, I know absolutely. one of the things I, I recommend is that. Uh, you may even want to produce a an ideal position description, obviously not getting into specifics uh, if you don't know the company or something, but uh, write out the kind of job you'd really like to have in a formal position description so that it uh, kind exactly. of inspires what you're looking for. But, uh, and it will help you when you're interviewing for positions when you've already thought through what you're going to do because the interviewer will see the enthusiasm that you have when you're talking about your your particular qualifications or your desire to perform the particular job that you're interviewing for. Well, where's, so the best place for where's the best place for our listeners to go to preview and purchase your book, Career Moves for well, Teachers my, and Other Professionals? Thank you. Career, Career Moves for Teachers and Other Professionals is available at Amazon.com. You can also visit my website at GeraldineHogan.com, and there is a link for the book there. Yeah, I, I visited that, and also uh, they would should they go through your web. Uh, what's your web in case someone wants to contact you as a keynote speaker or uh, your mediation? Do you do that around the country, or is that strictly in Florida that you do that? I only mediate in Florida, and I only mediate in South Florida. Oh, okay. So well, I limit. I limit. I'm very limited. Need to contact you about that then. Or? No, my, I limit my mediation practice. I, I am a licensed attorney in the state of Florida, so yeah. I limit and my mediation is through my, my licensing as an attorney. Yeah. And so I limit it to Florida, and then because I'm so familiar with South Florida, I, I actually can mediate anywhere in the state of Florida, yeah. but I pretty much stay in the South Florida area. Okay, but uh, for, to contact you for, uh, for a possible keynote speech or something like that, uh, where should, how should they get in touch with you? 
There is a link to you. They can actually email me from my website at GeraldineHogan.com. There is, yes, there is a portion of, there is a section to contact me directly and you can email me from the website. Well, that sounds great. Well, in conclusion, if like so many folks at middle age, you conclude that your career and your life in general are not where you'd like them to be, Geraldine Hogan most definitely can serve as a role model for you. She truly is eligible for our Midlife Renewal Hall of Fame in transitioning from elementary school teacher uh, through law school to become a lawyer than a judge is almost beyond belief. Furthermore, after retiring from 12 years as a workers' compensation judge, she now is a mediator, motivational speaker, and a new author. And Judge Hogan, I love this statement on your website, retirement doesn't mean sit back and relax. You certainly haven't done that. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) Should any of you know or even suspect that you are stuck in a career rut, I highly recommend you preview and purchase, or for that matter, any kind of a rut, you preview and purchase Geraldine Hogan's new book, Career Moves for Teachers and Other Professionals. And to summarize the book's benefits, here are the words of another former teacher who's now an attorney. Within the pages of this book, you'll have the opportunity to brainstorm, reflect, and start taking steps necessary to transition into the career or job that meets the needs of your evolving life. And I couldn't have said it better myself. And thanks a million, Judge Hogan, for joining us here today. Best of success on sale of your new book. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure talking with you. Well, thanks to our guest, Geraldine Hogan, uh, for her inspiration on changing jobs, even careers at middle age. From teacher to judge. Wow, that was quite a transition. Not that there's a thing wrong with being a teacher. If you relish that career, wake up every weekday morning eager to greet and mentor your students, and uh, you feel like teaching is what you are cut out to do. Whatever your current job, most importantly, do you relish what you presently do to earn a living so that your enjoyment of life is not limited to evenings and weekends? And I've learned from experience, and I bet you have also, that that just doesn't work out well. You can't really divide your life up like that. Stress or boredom from the job carries over into unhappiness in your non-working hours also. It just seems to work that way. So let's say you're committed to finding a new job, perhaps in a career unrelated or only loosely related to your current job, and you're willing maybe to step back in salary or prestige, the uh, title, whatever, uh, because you know you have to learn the new job. And let's say for whatever reason, less pressure, shorter hours, or the need for on-the-job training, you're willing to work for a lower salary than you presently make, and that uh, maybe you're going to give up a title and some perks. But here's an all-too-common refrain, especially for folks of middle age. You appear to be overqualified for our position. Have you ever heard that line? Uh, For the rest of today's program, I'm going to talk about avoiding the overqualified trap. Let me uh, advise that a lot of what I'm presenting is taken from an article by Sue Schellenbarger in the August 20th, 2019 Wall Street Journal. 
In the article, she cites a 39-year-old executive with a successful record as a senior vice president who has, uh, has been laid off, let's say, in a corporate takeover a few months ago. She doesn't care about matching her former title. She just wants a challenging job where she can learn and grow. And she was shocked recently when a recruiter told them that she was too senior for an opening that matched her skills and experience almost perfectly. Truth is, few obstacles are more perplexing for job seekers than being told you're overqualified. You may have learned that firsthand. I sure, I'm sure I did a few times. But here's a quirky truth. Many people wrongly assume that a power-packed resume is a sure-fire ticket to a job. And get this, Oliver Hall, an assistant professor of operation or organization theory and strategy at Carnegie Mellon University and several colleagues, tested hiring managers' willingness to make an offer to two candidates for a corporate finance job. Both of the candidates had elite college degrees, but one candidate had a stellar record heading a 10-person team financing $1.5 billion transactions. The other had a much smaller team doing deals about one-tenth the size. And guess what? Hiring managers uh, were more likely to offer the job to the candidate with a less impressive record. The reason? According to the researchers, the managers assumed the candidate with a more stellar resume wouldn't be committed to the company or stick with the job as long. Also, the boss might feel threatened by the more qualified candidate, fearing that the new hire might be so outstanding that they'd take over the boss's job. Others fear that a job seeker with a turbocharged resume won't play well with others, uh, so for sure as heck don't come across as a prima donna. It sounds crazy, but some hiring managers fear loading up a team with too many A-plus players because they might compete against each other rather than cooperating to benefit the whole team. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? But that, that was what they found. And, oh, yes, let's face reality. I know it's illegal, but labeling a middle-aged candidate as overqualified often is a hidden pretext for age discrimination, especially if you're in your 50s. Isn't that crazy? Sounds like uh, to get certain jobs that you're clearly qualified for, you may need to hide some of your accomplishments behind your back. So how best can you overcome these obstacles in order to get hired and then launch a new career with a target employer? First, you will need to convince the hiring manager that you have a legitimate reason for applying for a job seemingly beneath your capabilities. Do you have a legitimate reason for leaving your present employer and stepping back, maybe gaining more time for family care duties or recovering from burnout? Maybe you're just stressed out from working too long and too many hours in the, in the job. Are you truly ready to take a major pay cut? I know one hiring consultant said he's highly skeptical of any candidate who says they're willing to take a 25% pay cut. And I can vouch for that uh, once in my life after being out of work for several months 
I had been an executive and the company was taken over. I accepted a 30% pay cut and was totally miserable in my new job. Not only did I not have the responsibility, but I just didn't have the money that I was used to having, and it wasn't a good fit. But here's the second requirement. You need to demonstrate enthusiastic understanding and genuine compassion for your prospective employer's mission and for the job's functions that you're going to be performing. This requires you research both the employer and the job so you can explain what excites you about both. Demonstrated passion is especially important if you can sell your skills and enthusiasm to a young firm with an outstanding potential. In effect, then you're trading upfront uh, earnings for potential long-term benefit uh, you know, as the company grows and prospers, maybe even a, a share of the equity. But before we go, here are a few suggestions on avoiding the overqualified trap. One, explain up front why you're applying for a position that's seemingly beneath you. Hit the uh, subject head-on, in other words. Enthusiasm over long-term prospects and commitment to company mission may be convincing reasons. Second, research the job and the employer in depth so that you can explain how they match both your qualifications and your career objectives. This, uh, you are my targeted employer for the long term, in other words. That's the message you want to convey. Third, be consistent in all the interviews during the day. If you spend a day interviewing uh, on the, uh, for a job, uh, be consistent in the reasons for applying for the job. Don't speak out of your mouth on one side with one manager and give a different message to another one. Be likable, not just to your target boss, but to uh, every employee you meet who is a potential member of your team. Ask questions as an intelligent but not overbearing person, uh, giving the impression that you can contribute, but most certainly you have a lot to learn and you want to learn more about the company. Show openness and flexibility by talking about things you need to learn. There is nothing wrong at all, though, with pointing out similarities from your prior experience and how you can assist others as members of the team. And line up reliable references who will vouch for your uh, teamwork uh, skills, team-building skills, and commitment to employer mission. Those references are so important in something like this. And finally, network with contacts who uh, also know some key insiders at your target employer. All those are good ways to overcome the overqualified trap. Bottom line in all this, don't kid yourself and don't try to fake it. <laughs> Truth of human nature, the grass always looks greener on the other side of the fence, doesn't it? But there's no way you will be satisfied for long and moving to a dead-end position in another employer that pays far less than you have been making and offers little prospects or hope for raises, promotion, growth, and development. A dead-end is not going to make you happy for the rest of your career. And if things don't work out and you're miserable in the new position, you'll have far less leverage in trying to move again. You'll look flighty at that point. But let's end today's program on a positive note. It is possible to transition to a less stressful 
and more satisfying position, even if you earn less. You know, we began this program today by talking about an elementary school teacher <coughs> excuse me, who transformed into a lawyer and a judge. Well, here's the opposite transition from a corporate marketing executive to a teacher. I had a friend who gave up a highly responsible corporate job to teach high school. The reason, as a high school English teacher, my friend had ample hours to complete and promote his new mystery novel. <coughs> and writing fiction had always been his lifetime ambition. Like my friend, I trust a number of you will take those steps necessary to pursue your passion, whether they be working or whether they free up more time for a hobby like writing uh, what he always wanted to do. And he's a very happy man now, and he did complete that uh, novel, by the way, and hopefully it's a big success. Whatever the short-term sacrifice, it's certainly worth putting yourself on the right career track. But you have to be sure your spouse and kids are on board before you make a major move like that because they're probably going to have to sacrifice some, and you don't want family squabbles. <laughs> now, why can't we do what we used to be able to do? But that's our program for today. Tune in again next week. Uh, bye for now from Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com.